Amen. We hope that it is your prayer that you come with open hearts this morning to this ancient word that is ever new to us. And so we will be reading that ancient word given new to us from Acts chapter 27, beginning in verse 39, entering into chapter 28. There we read, now when it was day, they did not recognized the land, but they noticed a bay with a beach on which they planned, if possible, to run the ship ashore. So they cast off the anchors and let them in the sea, at the same time loosening the ropes that tied the rudders. Then hoisting the foresail to the wind, they made for the beach. But striking a reef, they ran the vessel aground. The bow struck and remained immovable, and the stern was being broken up by the surf. The soldier's plan was to kill the prisoners, lest any should swim away and escape. But the centurion, wishing to save Paul, kept them from carrying out their plan. He ordered those who could swim to jump overboard first and make for the land, and the rest on planks or pieces of the ship. And so it was that all were brought safely to the land. After we were brought safely through, we then learned that the island was called Malta. The native people showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and welcomed us all because it had begun to rain and was cold. When Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and put them on the fire, a viper came out because of the heat and fastened on his hand. When the native people saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer. Though he has escaped from the sea, justice has now not allowed him to live. He, however, shook off the creature into the fire and suffered no harm. They were waiting for him to swell up or suddenly fall down dead, but when they had waited a long time and saw no misfortune come to him, they changed their minds and said that he was a god. Now in the neighborhood of that place were lands belonging to the chief man of the island named Publius, who received us and entertained us hospitably for three days. It happened that the father of Publius lay sick with fever and dysentery. And Paul visited him and prayed and putting his hand on him, healed him. And when this had taken place, the rest of the people on the island who had diseases also came and were cured. They also honored us greatly. And when we were about to sail, they put us on board, whatever we needed. Thus far, the reading of God's holy word, you may be seated. My mother, for a time, worked in a nursing home. And so when we, as a family, went to visit her and my father, she took us to the place where she worked And there she introduced us to an 80-year-old man who was bedridden and was on oxygen, living in a small nursing room home. His world had become quite small, and yet you would never know it because he had a vibrancy of life to him. We visited with him, and he told us a a few stories about himself, a, a few jokes, as well as his faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. We had such a wonderful time because he was such a joy. He had such a joyous personality to him. And as we were about to leave and as we were saying goodbye, he thanked us for coming. And we told him that the pleasure was all ours because we were so blessed to meet him. And I'll never forget what he said. With tears in his eyes, he said, well, good. I prayed to the Lord this morning that I might be a blessing. Here is a man on death's door who would have every reason to complain about his condition, his aches, his pains, what he didn't have or what he needed. But he wasn't concerned about self in the least. 
but rather how he could be a blessing even in life's worst conditions. That indeed is the Christian spirit and attitude. Even in life's worst, we are to be others-oriented. We're to be servants of Christ, ministers of others, filled with joy, the joy of the Lord, even despite life's circumstances. That was the attitude of this man, and I will never forget it. It left an impression upon me. It's also the attitude of the Apostle Paul, as we read this morning. As we have seen and as we saw last week on his journey to Rome, still as a Roman prisoner, he, as well as the rest of the boat, encountered a little trouble. And when I say a little, I mean a lot. A two-week hurricane-like storm that had them jettison all support, all supplies, and in the end, all hope of survival. And even through it, Paul continued to have hope. He continued to warn and encounter all that would take place. And through it, he did not have the attitude of, I told you so, and pouting on the sidelines. Rather, we see even in these circumstances, the Apostle Paul being a servant of Christ and a minister to others, providing leadership, providing hope, providing encourage amidst the storm. And in our passage this morning, we see the same, that this voyage, though it ends in shipwreck, and the sailors and those amongst the board swimming and floating find this primitive land. And there upon arrival, Paul is snake-bitten, literally. And yet, you would never know it not by his attitude, not by his outlook, not by his words or his actions. We do not see him grumbling or complaining or even sulking, even though we would say that he would perhaps have every right to do so. He continues to minister and be a minister of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And there's much to learn from his example to us this morning. And we'll see that this morning and four points, sea-tossed, shipwrecked, snake-bitten, and yet blessed. First, sea-tossed. Last week we began this and we saw that God allows storms, the storms of life, that he does not sail us around them or over them or under them, but rather right into them and through them. And that this is not opposite or contrary to God's will. Rather, it is directly in line with God's will. That God uses storms, he uses difficulties, he uses the challenges and trials to accomplish his will. And that is exactly what we see with the Apostle Paul. That despite the sailors' best efforts, all their toil was futile against the purposes of the Lord. And the only comfort that they had, the only comfort that the Apostle Paul could give was the promise and the presence of the Lord. And that is the only comfort that we have when we endure the same. And that is not a little, that is actually a lot. In reality, it is all that we need. Even though we would long and pray for our condition to change, and even though we would work towards a change in our conditions, we must recognize that it may not, nor ever. And yet, what we see 
is that we can endure. We can persevere because the God of the storms is also the God of our life, the one that gives us all that we stand in need of to endure and to persevere even in the worst of life's condition. And Paul, having received the hope and encouragement from the Lord, can in return give it, offer it to others upon the ship. And we read that this was not a small ship. There was, in fact, 276 souls or people aboard. And so Paul's presence had quite literally a preserving influence on the whole of the ship. And that is not only true of the Apostle Paul, but that is true of all Christians. You remember in Matthew chapter 13, Jesus tells the parable of the wheat and of the tares, that a man sowed good wheat in his field, but an enemy came behind him and sowed tares or or weeds. And the servants asked the master, should we go out and pull up these weeds? And the master says, no, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with it. He says, let both grow together until the harvest. And at harvest time, I will tell the reapers, gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned. But gather the wheat into my barn. You see, judgment is delayed, but it is not delayed because the world is not deserving of judgment. No, rather, it's quite the opposite. The world is very much deserving of God's judgment. But it is spared because of God's elect, because of the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. God is gracious to the world on account of his own. And that is what we see here with this boat. None were worthy of saving because of some type of merit of their own. No, they were saved because of the grace of God and the grace of God alone. And that was true of the Apostle Paul all the way to the most rank pagan on the boat. The Lord was using the Apostle Paul. He was saving the Apostle Paul quite literally through this storm so that he could minister, so that he as a redeemed sinner could minister to the unsaved sinners upon this boat. And the Lord was gracious to allow that to happen by not allowing the storm to overcome them. And the same is true of us. The Lord tarries so that we as redeemed sinners may minister to unredeemed sinners in the hope of saving Many. And that is the promise that goes all the way back to the time of Noah. You remember the sign of the rainbow, that he would never send worldwide destruction again. But however, he would use the time to save those that he may so that they would be a light and a darkness in the midst of the darkness of this world. However, even though the Lord will not send a worldwide flood once again, we must be reminded that every storm, every flood, every natural disaster there ever should be a reminder to each and every one of us that the end indeed is coming, that the time is drawing near, that God's patience and his grace will not endure forever. The end will come and 
At the end, it will be the judgment of all of us, all of mankind. And so it is a reminder once again, a reminder for us to repent and to believe. Do not be fooled on such a a beautiful, pretty day like today, that all is well and that we need not worry, that the Lord is far, far away, that the earth is all good, everything is well with this world. No, the Lord says you will come like a thief in the night when we least expect it. And so today, indeed, is the day of salvation. The storms of life are a reminder for us to indeed flee to Christ, to find shelter in him alone. Well, second, then, we see this shipwreck. Paul and his Shipmates have their two-week nightmare come to an end when they notice land or a bay with a beach. No doubt that must have been a welcomed sign, to say the least. It was the first physical indicator that they really might make it, that what had been promised to them on the boat by the Apostle Paul, by God himself, would truly come to pass. And so it says that they cast off their anchors and loosened the rudders, and they hoisted the sail in order to make a beeline for the ground, for the beach. But they don't make it. They strike a reef that is below the water. And so what happens when a boat hits an unmovable object? Well, the boat loses. It is destroyed. And that is exactly what happened. The boat had been their only saving grace. And now even that is destroyed by the waves and by the surf. And all on the boats, as we mentioned, needed to swim or to grab a piece of something that would float. And we read that the Roman soldiers were afraid that some of the prisoners might escape. And so they're about to put them to death because a Roman soldier knows that it's either their head or my head. And therefore, it's a very easy decision for a Roman soldier The choice between their life or the prisoner's life is an easy decision to make. And yet, what we read is that grace is extended yet again through the kindness of the Roman centurion. It says that the centurion wishing to save Paul, verse 43, kept them from carrying out their plan. And so finally, at the end of this chapter, chapter 27, we can read these words, all were brought safely to land. Now, you cannot read those words without seeing the hand of the Almighty, that all of those that arrived on that shore, no doubt a little dizzy as what had taken place over the two weeks prior, no doubt wet and waterlogged, none of them could say, whew, that was close. But you know what? By our good instincts, our quick decisions, our hard labor and our efforts and our smarts, we made it. If it wasn't for us, we would all be goners. Now, for anybody to have that perspective, you would say that is one of the most ridiculous things that you've ever heard. You would say that you have not contributed one iota 
to making it safely to that shore. He would say it was all by the grace of God and by the grace of God alone. And what is true of that boat, of that ship, is absolutely true of our salvation as well, isn't it? That on the day of judgment, when we see God Almighty in all of his glory, all of his splendor, all of his majesty, and all of his holiness and justice, no one is going to say, whew, I made it. Good job, self. You made the right life choices. You did enough good deeds and good works to make it to this point. I guess I was a little bit smarter than everybody else that has not made it. No, none of us will be able to say that because there will be absolutely nothing to boast in, will there? No merit, no work, no good efforts, no good deeds. It will only be by the grace and mercy of God alone. Just like all of those men on that ship should have been in the depths of the sea, and at the very bottom of the sea, so all of us ought to be in the very depths of hell itself. That it is only for the utter grace and mercy of God alone that that is not our reality, nor will be our reality. Therefore, no one will be able to boast on that day. The only boasting will be in God alone in his glory and in his majesty and in his grace and in his mercy that is extended to all that do not deserve it. So when we read all were brought safely to that land, so too all of the Lord's children will be brought safely to heaven, safely to Zion's shore, and none will be lost because of God's grace, because there is no boasting. There will be no pride on that day. And because there can be no pride on that day, can there be any pride on this day? Absolutely not. Christ, indeed, through the work of the Holy Spirit, through the work of God's preserving spirits, he is rooting out all boasting, all pride in us. Listen, a prideful Christian is an oxymoron. Indeed, it is a contradiction to the very theology for, to the very scriptures that you believe in. You can be proud of your children. You can be proud of your church. You can be proud of others, but you can never be proud of yourself. As if we have done something by our own hands, by our own might, all that we have done, all that we have been able to accomplish is by God's grace and God's grace alone. I often hear today that what people most need is a good sense of self-esteem. It's often said that your children need a good sense of self-esteem. No, what the world needs is a strong view of God's grace that puts life in right perspective. And therefore, I believe this shipwreck of the Apostle Paul is analogous to us as well. That if we come to Christ, we are to stumble upon the rock of offense. Indeed, we are to be crushed by him, to realize that we have nothing and that he is everything. Only then are we to receive his grace, 
his mercy, his salvation, his blessings. I was reminded of this recently once again when myself and Pastor Myers and the interns have been teaching on Wednesday morning here at our Covenant Christian School Chapel, and we've been going through the Beatitudes, and I taught on the first Beatitude, and you remember that Beatitude is, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And that poor is not just a little poor, it is not just slightly poor, no, it is beggar poor, meaning you have nothing, and the only thing that you can do is Offer up your hands, empty hands, to someone that would give something to you. That is indeed the attitude that we come to God with, that we come open-handed. We don't come grabbing hold of things that we say, this is the reason why you should accept me, God. This is what I bring to the table. This is what I offer. Look at my resume. Look at my good deeds. Look at the things that I do. No, we take nothing with us into the kingdom of heaven. We come stumbling on Christ and Christ alone. We come empty-handed. Nothing in my hand I bring, but simply to thy cross I cling. So too, here the Lord destroys even their ship the last earthly thing that they had. It reminds us, doesn't it, that we have nothing here on this earth that brings about salvation to us. There is nothing that can save us. And thus, we must completely throw ourselves upon the mercy of God. And when we do realize that we have God's mercy, then we realize that we have ample salvation. A salvation to all that call upon his name. And so what we see is, yes, they were shipwrecked, yet they were safe, and they were saved. So too, when we stumble upon Christ, realizing we have nothing in ourselves, when we have Christ and Christ alone, we too are safe. We too are saved. That is indeed the work of God. It brings us to nothing so that he would be made everything to us in life. Well, third, then, we see this aspect of snake-bitten. Beginning in chapter 28, we read after being beaten and tossed and cold and miserable and wet to the core, Paul and the rest of the sailors and everybody aboard finally makes it to land. And what a glorious feeling that must have been they were probably kissing the, the very beach upon which they were on. So thankful to be there, not knowing exactly where there was, only to realize that they were now on the island of Malta, a primitive island, and yet what they experience is friendly natives, so friendly that they made a fire for them and welcomed them. And what we read is that it seems this two-week nightmare finally comes to a happy conclusion, a good resolution. And you might think, well, finally they could breathe, finally they could warm up, finally they could let their hair down a little bit and recover, and yet what we read is that was not in the Lord's plan, at least for the apostle Paul. Just when you think it's over, Paul picks up a bundle of sticks, and he is bitten 
by a snake. Now, there is probably nothing in this world that I hate more than snakes. So if you're one of those that have a pet snake, what is wrong with you? I am not coming over. I am not visiting your snake. I'm sorry. But you have to think that the Apostle Paul must have thought, come on, Lord. (laughs) Really? And so what are we to make of this incident? Well, what we are to make of this incident is that the Lord was even using this. That the natives knew that this was a poisonous snake. And that Paul was a goner. That he had survived the sea, but now he was bitten by a snake. And yet, to their surprise, he does not die. And he does not die, not because Paul is some superman. No, it was the supernatural preservation and grace of God, once again, extended to the Apostle Paul. And so the natives go from believing he is a murderer, deserving of death, to believing that he is a god. (laughs) The fickle nature of man to go from one extreme to another so quickly. And again, we see that the Lord uses this. When you think nothing good could come out of a snake bite, the Lord uses this to provide credence to the message of the gospel, especially among the natives. No, Paul was not a god, but he was a messenger sent by God. Now, let me just say, it's a fair warning, this does not mean that you should put your hand down a snake hole or that you should go to some mountain revival and handle some serpents. All things in the Bible are not prescriptive. You should not go and do likewise. However, do not think that the, law, the world is not watching when you endure afflictions and trials. No, they are very much watching. And what they are wanting to see is, is this person's faith genuine? Does it make a difference? And if it doesn't, if you become bitter and angry at your circumstances and at the world and even at God himself, they will say, see, I knew it. That person only worships God because they treat him like a good luck charm or a good luck genie. But when bad happens, they tuck tail and run. Isn't that what Satan said to God about Job? Does Job worship God for nothing? Strike him and he will curse you. And so what happened? Job was severely stricken and struck, and yet Job continued to worship. Let me ask you, can you continue to worship and follow the Lord, even amidst life's difficulties and trials? Can you be, in a word, snake-bitten? And yet, praise your God. I think you can because what we see is that even amidst life's worst, we are blessed. You might read this passage and perhaps others would read this passage and say, let's see, Paul was sea-tossed, shipwrecked, and snake-bitten. If that's what it means to follow the Lord, well, yeah, I'm not so sure I want to follow the Lord and his plan for my life. And what I think the Apostle Paul would say to us is, oh, it's much worse than that. In fact, he does. In 2 Corinthians 11, he writes this, five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. 
Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers. Was Paul in danger? Yes, yes he was. In toils and hardships through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, and apart from other things, there was the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of the churches. And yet, what can the Apostle Paul say, even amidst all of those hardships, amidst all of those difficulties, he can go on to say in chapter 12, the Lord has allowed this to happen. He has not removed, he has not renewed my thorn in the flesh because the Lord's grace is sufficient. His power is made perfect in my weakness, so much so that the Apostle Paul can say, for the sake of Christ then, I am content with weakness, with insult, with hardship, with persecution and calamities. Why? Because when I am weak, then I am strong. Not strong in himself, but strong in Christ, strong in the grace of God, strong in what God was doing in and through him, even amidst the life's difficulties. And so the Lord's ways oftentimes do seem contrary to what we think. But in the midst of it, we find true blessings. And the greatest blessing that we find in the midst of the life's troubles and difficulties is God himself. Nothing else. He is the treasure of immeasurable worth. He is the pearl of great price. We are blessed in him and through him and by him. Because he indeed is the blessing. If you would ask the Apostle Paul, would you rather go back to your former life where you probably had it pretty easy and people loved you and they loved your prominence and your prestige? Would you rather have that or would you rather be a follower of Christ and endure all that you have endured, all of the hardships that we just mentioned? I think the Apostle Paul would say it's not even a question. He said, I would have dead then. And now I am alive. And the same is true, isn't it? The Christian life is not an easy life. I'm sorry if that is what you thought. The Christian life is a difficult life. It is a hard life. You are going to be sea-tossed. You are going to be shipwrecked. And you are going to be snake-bitten, so to speak. But it is a blessed life. Life. In fact, I would say there is no better life. You would not trade it for a thousand other lives otherwise. Why? Because you see God at work. You got, see God at work in your own life. You see God at work in others through your life circumstances. He is caring. He is providing. He is giving all along the way. It is the way of the cross. What do I mean by that? When we look at the life of our Lord, do we see anything different? We cannot look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ and say, well, he had it easy. No, he had nothing easy about it. It ended in death, death on the cross. But through that death on the cross, it gave life to all. And so there by, it is the model of the Christian life. Yes, through your difficulties, 
through your hardships, you are enduring death in a way, but it is giving life. Giving life to you, it is giving life to this world. The Christian life is not easy, but it is the blessed life. Jesus therefore said, pick up your cross daily and follow him. This is the way of life, the abundant life at that. And it is through what the Lord provides to us that we are able to provide to others. In other words, the the way that the Lord ministers to us, we thereby minister to others. I had a youth pastor that would always say that the blessings are never to end with us. Rather, we are to multiply the blessing. And he would say it this way, we are to franchise the blessing. We are to be blessed, and so in being blessed, be a blessing. In fact, increase the blessing. That is, again, what we see in the life of the Apostle Paul, isn't it? In small ways and in great ways. Why did Paul get bitten by a snake? Because he was gathering sticks. Why was he gathering sticks? Because he was making a fire. He was keeping the fire going. The great apostle Paul was doing the meager task of going around and picking up sticks. Why? So that his captors could be warm. So that they could be provided for. It demonstrates by the apostle Paul that there was no task below him. Likewise, we see him going with the chief of the islands to his father's house, one that had disease. And there, the Apostle Paul was able to minister to him and heal him, along with others who had diseases. So we see that the Apostle Paul was a servant of Christ and ministered to others, even amidst all of these challenges, all of these difficulties, on the ship as well as on the island. No matter where he was, he was a blessing to others. Church of the Lord Jesus Christ. Is that how you see your life? Do you wake up every morning and say, Lord, make me a blessing. You have blessed me so tremendously in Christ. Let me franchise that blessing to others for your own sake and for your own glory. What ways are you doing that? In small ways? Great ways, ways seen by a watching world, and ways only seen by God himself, all for his glory's sake. And is that true not only of us individually? Is that true of us as a church as well? You know that purpose statement that's on the back of your bulletin that we want to know Christ and grow in Christ and show forth the love of Christ. Is that true of us? Or is that just words? When people come into this place, do they experience it, even though they have never read our purpose statements? I hope so. And it involves sacrifice. It does. It involves cross-bearing. But what this passage would teach us and what all of Scripture would teach us is that the Lord is no man's debtor. That all that you would give to God, he gives back to you tenfold in blessings. That we are the recipients. Isn't that true? When we minister to others, aren't we ministered to ourselves? We are the ones that are the recipients. And so, Church of Christ, may we use our time 
May we use our resources. May we use our time and money and talents for God, even when life seems contrary to using it. We might want to think, well, this is just not a good season in my life. We never have good seasons. There's always difficulty. There's always challenges. But if we are willing to pick up our cross, to bear it, to endure it with the endurance and the perseverance that Christ gives to us through his Spirit, and indeed, we can be a blessing. We can bless our Lord, and we can be a blessing to others. May it be so, by God's grace. Join me in prayer. Lord, as we look at a passage like this, it's easy to, once again, just see a, a good story, some good deeds done by a good man. But Lord, we know that all that was done by the Apostle Paul was rooted in the gospel itself. That he was able to be a blessing because he was blessed in Christ. And if that is true of Paul, Lord, that is abundantly true of us. We are so incredibly blessed. Every single day, every morning when air fills our lungs, once again, we know that that is by the grace of God. When the, the sun shines upon our face, when we are able to have a good cup of coffee and breakfast in the morning, all of these are blessings, O oh Lord. But Lord, may those blessings not end with us. May we go forth to, to be a blessing to you and to others. Lord, would you help us in this, O oh God? We desire to live as servants of Christ to know you, to grow in you, and to show forth the love that you have shown to us. May we show it to others in practical and tangible ways. Lord, as we think through on Sunday school what the love one another looks like and what all these one another commands are, Lord, you are showing us what we are to be as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. And so may it be true. May it be evident. May those that come in surely say these are followers of Christ because I know they are by their love, their love for you and their love for one another. Lord, we thank you for that. We thank you for the love that you have given to us in Christ Jesus. And may we show that love again this day, this week, as long as you would give us life and breath. Would we, O oh Lord, be a blessing. We pray this in Christ, our Savior's name. Amen.